Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Good morning, friends. It's good to see you. My name is Larry. I'm uh, the lead pastor here. It's good to have you with us online. Um, if I grimace today, give me a little, little love. I, uh, I did the young man's thing, and I, went, I did a header over my bike yesterday. So I'm, I'm hurting a little bit, so I might all of a sudden go, <gasps> I laughed about it the entire time when I was done, because I was, you know, it's, it's a young man's game. You shouldn't do that um, when you get older, because you feel things differently. So um, but I'm here, it's good, and uh, don't do that. There's your lesson for all of you. And wear a helmet. It's smart. I did that. Um, so we are in a series on Matthew. We're literally walking through this entire book in the New Testament um, called Matthew. And uh, many of you guys have grabbed one of these uh, journals we have. It's you know, following along today. We're going to be in ch- uh, page 29. If you're going to look there, it has a scripture we're going to go through. We're actually wrapping up the rest of chapter 2. So congratulations. Today's it for chapter 2. And then next week we get to jump into chapter 3. If you don't have one of these yet, or maybe this is your first time with us uh, ever, or maybe this is your first time with us in person again where you can grab one of these, um, on the, at the new friends area on the way out, you can snag one of those. We'd love to give that as a gift to you. And so you can follow along with us. You can catch up. If you're with us and you know that you're with us virtually and um, you're not ready to come back in person yet, we would love to mail one of those to you so you can also participate and follow along. Um, so today's title, as you can see there in the journal, is The Insecurity of Herod in All of Us. The Insecurity of Herod in all of us. There's this thing that, there's a, there's a thing about Herod. If you were to maybe even say, which, um, which person in this story, this Christmas narrative, is essentially what we've gone through in chapter two, which person do you say, I feel like I'm like the most? And so many of you would say like, well, it's not Mary, you know, uh, it's not Joseph. We don't really know much about him. We don't get a whole lot of information about him. Um, it's not like the Magi or the wise men because we're not that into the stars and this pagan kind of life. And it's not baby Jesus. It's just, right? Good. And uh, for a lot of us, I think that you would notice that you're actually much more like Herod, who's like the villain at the end of this story. And we get into some pretty dramatic things that we've learned in this biblical narrative. So we're going to unpack that just a little bit. So I believe there's a little King Herod in all of us in this insecurity. So King Herod here, a little background about him. He was the client king of Judea. This was this region where um, Jerusalem is and Bethlehem is. This means that Rome made him the king of Judea. And he wasn't even Jewish which actually made a lot of the Jews there upset. Rome had actually labeled him the king of Jews, but he didn't practice and participate. And he was the king at the time that Christ Jesus was born, and he was very smart. You learn if you read about him and you study about him that he was a very smart man. He was very talented, and he was very politically astute and very ambitious. He was actually known in that day and age, and I believe that potentially the thing that he would have been known the best for ever is one of the best building kings that there ever was. He built the temple for the Jewish people. He built city courts, uh, aqueducts. He built a seaport. He built these really large things, and some of those things still stand to this day. But his ambition is what got the best of him at the end. And that's where we, I think, have a little bit of Herod in all of us. So 
Maybe some of you guys remember, and maybe most of you in this room remember studying back in the 1900s, you know, when you were in school, and uh, you got to study and you learned about uh, someone named Julius Caesar. This was, uh, Julius Caesar was in the Senate, and it was that whole scene where the Senate came, and they murdered him in the Senate, and it's the whole et brute situation, e brute this, and that was in 44 BC when that took place. And when he died, we'll throw up a couple names up here. When he died, his nephew, his nephew, um, who is Octavius, who actually later becomes Caesar Augustus, the first emperor, and we'll get into that, so just hold on. But when he died, his nephew Octavius and his, one of his best friends, Mark Antony, actually went on this revenge tour to revenge his death. They went and destroyed all of the people that were involved and responsible for the death of his uncle Julius Caesar. And everyone watched this take place as these two, Mark Antony and Octavius, just continued to go and find the people that were a part of this and then execute, get rid of them from this earth. And both of them then, because of this, started gaining more and more power. So they started getting more recognition. People started to understand who they were and more Roman allegiance to them. And so now here's where King Herod comes in. King Herod was actually really good friends and had befriended Mark Antony. Um, he would support him and he would host things and he would give him lavish gifts. And Mark Antony at one time was actually married to the sister of Octavius. And then Mark Antony met another woman. Some of you guys maybe know who Mark Antony was married to. It was Cleopatra, right? So Cleopatra, who was with Egypt, and so Mark Antony and Cleopatra were both befriended by King Herod. He spent lots of time with them um, uh, and his wife. They were, she was really famous in Egypt, uh, and the Roman citizens specifically hated Cleopatra because they thought that she was going to try to bring Egypt and Rome together and take more territory, and then ultimately she would become the queen and bring Egypt and Rome together. And so King Herod hosted these parties. He sent them these lavish gifts, supported them actually again in a couple of rebellions uh, in that they had that they were part of right outside of Alexandria. And over time, what happened was, is you can only have one sheriff in town. And so these two are taking ground, gaining popularity, and these two actually get into a civil war. And what happened was, is once they got into the civil war, Mark Antony lost. Um, He retreated with Cleopatra. He ended up taking his own life. And then King Herod realized, I bet on the wrong horse. I didn't pick Octavius who then became Caesar Augustus. So now King Herod is sitting here going, "Uh uh-oh, right? He's saying, "Uh uh-oh, I I backed the wrong person. Now he has three options in this circumstance. One, you can either kill yourself, just get it over with. Two, you can run, but you know that eventually they're going to find you. They will hunt you down. Or three, you can just hope they ignore you, that they just forget about you. But King Herod was so politically astute. He was so smart and ambitious that he wanted to make sure his legacy stayed intact. He, he did something that was unthinkable. He actually got into a boat and went to the, road, the island of Rhodes and went to Octavius at that time and showed up at his door and knocked. And li- literally, they thought, wow, thank you for delivering your head literally on a platter to us. Like, yeah, you picked the wrong guy. We were going to get rid of you because all of your allegiance was to Mark. And so he stood there and gave this speech and said, yeah, you're right. I did. I was loyal with him through the very end. And so what you've learned now is that I'm a very loyal person. And I'm now going to pledge my loyalty 
to you, Octavius. And so Octavius gave him like the slow clap. That was excellent. And in turn, from that, what he did is he actually gave him more. He kept him not only the king of Judea, but then he gave him Samaria, Samaria uh, Jericho, Gaza as well. And so King Herod actually left this interaction being the king over a larger area at this time. So that's King Herod. He was this super bright guy. But the thing that got him in trouble was that he was so committed to his control and his own legacy that he just kept making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. He changed his will four different times. He had 10 wives. He had 14 kids. Every few years, he would change his mind and who'd be king and be like, hey, you're going to be the next king. And then he'd change his mind and then he'd kill his kid, right? And they'd be like, hey, no, okay, now you're going to be the king. Eventually, the kids are like, no, I don't want to be. I actually don't. I want, I wasn't going to, I wasn't interested in that at all that. But he was so committed to controlling his kingdom and legacy that he killed one of his wives and he killed so many rabbis. If you look back in the history, I mean, by the hundreds and the thousands, he was killing rabbis. And when we get to this biblical narrative about King Herod, he's almost 70 years old when he shows up on the map with us. And he's very sick at this point, painfully so. He actually has this really debilitating kidney disease. And he actually now has got some infections, and he's trying to control the narrative of his legacy. And then he gets the most disturbing news he can get, that just five miles south of him, there's a new king. Five miles south of where he's at, there's a new king, and this new king is learning to walk. And here's where Matthew introduces King Herod into the story. And so we're just going to slam through the whole chapter right here and wrap it all up. So Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem and asked. So what, right here, this is how this question landed. They were wandering around asking the Magi, hey, where's this star? What does this star mean? Do you know what's going on? And where, then we continue on. He, where he is, has also been born the king of Jews. Where is this person who's been born the king of Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, it says that he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was. And now, so now that you have a little background history, now you know why when King Herod was disturbed, everybody else was disturbed, because he was crazy. He was nuts. He was older. He was in a lot of pain. He was making decisions, and they knew that when he was disturbed, he was dangerous. He was likely to do anything, and now that he's in this pain and he's older, so everyone was disturbed with him. And gathering together, so now he gathers together all of the chief priests, describes the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. So now he calls together all of the the know-it-alls, all of the religious insiders together, and he says, where, where is this going? Where is this supposed to happen? And they said to him, well, you, you should know this, but we'll educate you. So they said, well, in, in Bethlehem, actually, this is what the scriptures say. In Bethlehem, Virginia, this is where it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judea. For from you will come forth a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people, Israel. This is like the worst imaginable news for this guy. 
So then, hearing this, that this is supposed to happen, he secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time that the star appeared. So now he's called them together as a, as a secret time, trying to figure out exactly when this ha- had happened. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, just five miles south of here, and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found them, report to me so that I may too come and worship him. And so after hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on ahead of them until it came to stop over the place where the child, where this is the toddler baby Jesus, was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Worshipped him. Five miles away, five miles to the north, Herod is worried to death. His whole life has been about these three things. His whole life has been about preserving, protecting, and controlling. His whole life, what he's worked on, has been about preserving what he has, protecting what he has, and controlling the outcomes of all of these circumstances. And for goodness sakes, he is not about to bow a knee to anyone. He's not about to worship anything. And that's why I think we can find a little Herod in all of us, the insecurity of him and the rest of us. You know, where we sit there and say, you know, I don't mind leveraging God if he's going to help me build my kingdom, right? Like, if I got to do this, then I'll leverage that situation that's going to help me out. I don't even mind going to church every once in a while or reading the Bible if all these things are actually going to help me, if they're going to help me facilitate my future, and then I'm all in for it, right? But the whole idea of writing God or anyone, for that matter, just a blank check for your life, for surrendering, of saying the answer is yes. What's the question? That, that's, not, that's not something that comes natural for any of us. That's not naturally how we respond to situations. Because there's a little Herod in all of us. After being warned by God in a dream not to return, this is Joseph, and to not to return to Herod, the Magi left, excuse me, this isn't Joseph, this is the Magi. After being warned in a dream by God to not return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared then to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child and he's going to kill him. And so Joseph, he got up and he took the child and his mother while it was still night and they left for Egypt. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. Then Herod was, when Herod was very enraged, people suffered. When Herod was very enraged, people died. He had spent his whole life, now friends uh, and men specifically listen to this, he had spent his whole life controlling outcomes. You been there? trying to figure out how to control outcomes. No matter what happened, he always found a way to control his outcomes. And even when he bet on the wrong leader, Mark Antony of Rome, he figured out a way. He was bold enough to show up. He was crafty enough to figure out a way to even control that outcome. 
And he was the master of controlling outcomes. And once again, he thought that he had figured out how to control this outcome, this specific outcome, because he wanted to go and worship him. And now he had been outsmarted by two Jewish parents. And he decided that there was no way that he was going to let this happen. He was going to control this outcome because he was being challenged because he heard there was another king and specifically that this would be the king of the Jews, his title. And that's not going to happen. So he gave orders that we cannot even imagine. This is one of those things that he is now remembered for. He gave instructions to his soldiers that we can't even imagine following through with unless you know the story of King Herod. It says, and he sent men and he killed all the boys who were in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under, according to the time in which he had determined from the Magi. And so they did. His soldiers rolled into every house, every hut in the town of Bethlehem, every inn from end to end, from farmhouse to farmhouse. And this is actually where uh, a lot of skeptics of the Bible get hung up. Because there's this callback that we see that Matthew is doing here to Old Testament times with Moses. And there's, you'll see as we unpack this uh, book of the Bible, we'll see lots of callbacks in this comparison between Jesus and Moses, as Jesus being the new Moses. And the Pharaoh had done something similar here. But a lot of people say, like, why isn't this written down in history? We see a lot of the things that King Herod did that were written down in history in that time uh, because he was king. But this isn't something that you hear about. You know, this is this massive slaughter. Why wouldn't we hear about this? And so a lot of skeptics get hung up and be like, see, it's just stories trying to make itself make sense. And so what I um, would want to say to you specifically about this is that Bethlehem at that time wasn't that populated. And so King Herod had already proved himself to doing mass murders. And so those things were written down. So it wasn't that far off. But most likely, it was between 15 and 25 children that we're talking about. And so a lot of historians believe that that number, even though it's very significant, wasn't significant enough to necessarily record in that part of history, that the other things that he had done. But can you imagine this? Can you imagine Mary living her entire life with that? Knowing what had happened because of her son and fleeing and knowing what was taking place. And then soon, probably with even in that same year, Herod dies. This terribly painful death from his kidneys that it was so painful, in fact, that it said he tried to commit suicide and failed at it. His cousin had come in uh, as he was attempting that and stopped him. And then just days later, he ended up succumbing to his disease. He saved him and he continued to suffer. And just before he died, he gave this final command that King Herod did. He asked him to round up the wealthiest and most influential men in Jerusalem and have them arrested. So he had hundreds of people arrested in this area. And he had the jailer hang on to him. And his last and final order was that the hour I die, and that within that same hour, I want you to slaughter all of these people. Because King Herod knew that they were going to throw a big old party in the street because he's gone. The tyrant isn't here anymore. But what he wanted to do is make sure that at least somebody was mourning when he died. And so he was willing to do this. And thank God that when he died, they released all of these people and didn't actually follow through with that uh, order. So the text continues. 
It says, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's, uh, for those who thought the child's life are dead. And the twist of history here is uh, Herod at this moment becomes this great footnote. <laughs> this is the twist in everything that's going on. He becomes the footnote in the story of Jesus. Can you imagine sitting down at, with Herod at his deathbed and telling him, hey, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Here's the good news. 2,000 years from now, people will still talk about you and what you did and who you were. In fact, in millions of different languages and with millions of different people in all kinds of different languages and places that you can't even imagine, even like this, people will gather in rows and circles and they're going to read about you. And surely he would have been like, that's fantastic, right? Well, that's the good news. That's the good news. The bad news is you are simply a side character. You were simply a footnote in the story of the toddler who became a king, who would become the savior of the world. And people won't talk about what you built. They won't talk about the aqueducts. They won't talk about the seaport. They, they won't, most circles won't even mention you as Herod the Great, the builder. You'll be known as Herod the Butcher, where you were just five miles away from the birth of the Son of God, and you missed that opportunity. You missed that opportunity. He had come into a place where he had a, an opportunity to be transformed because he had an opportunity to meet the king. The light of the world had come, and he made a decision. And that same decision I think we have to make, which is this. Will you resist or will you worship? We see this from the Magi. Their response was worship. What's your response going to be when you have an interaction, when you come to know and to meet the light of the world? Will you fight it and resist it, or will you worship? Is uh, your story going to be one of trying to build your own kingdom, that you have your hands so tightly that, that, that you're holding on to the things that eventually you're going to lose anyway, that you're going to have to let go of? Or will your story be one of surrender? Will you surrender everything that comes your way because you realize that I'm not going to be able to take any of it with me? A story of my way or his way? My will or thy will? And the reason that there's this tension and this struggle is because we're human and because there's a little Herod in all of us and our own insecurities and what we're fighting for. And one day someone's going to tell your story. Someone's going to tell my story in relationship to the light of the world and what we did with what we were given and the knowledge that we were given. So finally, to wrap up this chapter, it says, so Joseph got up, <clears throat> took the child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, the reigning, the reigning over Judah in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. So he couldn't go back up to the holy city. So then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and settled in the city called Nazareth. So he starts to come back. He realizes, oh, this still isn't good. And so that's why when we talked a couple of weeks ago, mentioned Jesus was literally in the witness protection program. He was being sought after. And so that's why he got to live his life up in a different region 
If you go back when we first started this chapter, you can hear some more information uh, about that and kind of how that connects and what that explains as Matthew's telling the story to make sure it's really clear where Jesus was from, where he was born as this Messiah. But here's the really cool thing about this last line, that they settled, settled in a city called Nazareth. And here's a picture actually of uh, Nazareth right up here. This is the region of Galilee. This is uh, the Bethlehem, Jerusalem area in Judea. Uh, this is the part that's like the tweener. Um, they don't hang out with each other right here. But Nazareth is like this little teeny uh, city. And it's like maybe at this time like 50 to 80 people. And it was one of those places that was like a nobody's place. Like it wasn't something that was really cool to be a part of. It wasn't like a cool like vibey place that you came from. It was like kind of the trash of the area. That's how it was known. And so it's interesting when you see that they went and they hid and he grew up in this place called Nazareth. And I think there's some likening that we can make a connection to there actually. Is that for some of us, we think, man, like nobody knows me. I don't feel like I can be seen. I feel like everything around me is broken. I feel like I've messed it up. I don't know if, I, if, if what I've done or who I am can ever have a redemptive quality about it. But I think when we look at this, when we say like, no, here's where the son of man went and out of Nazareth redeemed that place. Because Jesus is where I feel like all throughout the gospels he goes, he shows up in those places that feel lost, that feel broken, that feel dead. Because that's who he is. I think the Magi that we learned about got it right. They had an interaction with the king of kings and they worshiped. They responded in worship. And so friends, I want to invite you now, would you stand with me? And we do the same and we respond in worship. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at EngateCF. See you next week.